making a no-budget film, it's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur storming the beaches with the force of a hundred thousand soldiers. Instead, you're you're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines, trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. The odds stacked against you. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. All right. All right. Um, welcome back to the Grindhouse Podcast, everyone. So what are we talking about today? Yeah, so on the TV screen, there was uh, the former Trump lawyer, Michael Cohen, going through his congressional hearing. Some of the articles that I've been seeing lately talk about how this is a golden age for horror movies. If you look at some of the movies that have gotten a lot of acclaim lately, there's movies like Hereditary, there's movies like A Quiet Place, um, even Bird Box, which is maybe a little bit more controversial in terms of people's opinion on it. Still, you know, it was a big, it was a big hit for Netflix as, as well as um, was it The Haunting on Hill House. I haven't seen that one, but yeah, I heard good things. Yeah, so so those so horror movies really seem. I mean, all the Blumhouse films, all the Conjuring type films, they seem to be at sort of an all time peak. And and it made me think about like why that is. Like, what it is? What is it about horror in this current environment that is so interesting and intriguing to people? By current environment, you mean kind of like the political environment? Like you were watching the Cohen trial and you thought about like the the Trump yeah. era or something? Is yeah, you know, I, I can't think of a time in, in my short sort of existence here where. The, the political and social environment was so strange. I think that's the best way to sum it up. It's very surreal, this world that we're living in. I mean, we have a, a reality uh, TV star as president. And people like to say, you know, he's a businessman, but he's not. What we elected, what we elected was a reality star. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and, and you, you said reality as in reality star a few times, and I, I think that's very uh, um, a very appropriate term to focus on right now because we're kind of in an era, you know, where reality is sort of a custom thing that it's it's whatever people sort of want it to be, and which actually fits really well into um, a conversation about horror films because, uh, you know, I just the other day I, I was listening to the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, <laughs> and um, yeah. you might have heard he had a special guest on um, one of our president's uh, cohorts in the media, sort of in the alternative media, Alex Jones. Right. And Austin, uh, Austin's own. Uh, yes. Yeah, right. One of our home hometown zeros. Uh, <laughs> I, better or worse. I don't like him, but it, we'll get to that some other day. But um, <laughs> he was on there talking about a, uh, you know, a Hollywood uh, manipulated by demons, um, you know, right. these strange he's, connections. He's yeah, demons and aliens and elves and um, the devil and, uh, you know, human pig hybrid creatures, um, high tech stuff. I mean, it was it was a whole system of basically elements from horror films, from classic horror right. films even. Right. And um he had, you know, but he's talking about this stuff like it is, you know, just as, as common as sunshine and um, everybody, everybody's aware of it. And, and you read the comments. Uh, I actually, I, I didn't listen to it on a podcast app. I used YouTube. So right. the comment section on YouTube is thousands of people agreeing with him, you know, and it's, I mean, some of these pe- people, it's like what the worlds that we look into when we watch a horror film or a sci-fi film, um, 
they see it out their window every day. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean in some like, cause they're in a war zone. I mean, like they just, yeah, it's what, it's what they believe. There was a, a, like a sort of a mini documentary I watched on, on horror films and sort of the evolution of horror films in the U S and, you know, in this documentary, it talks about how horror films that are popular in any given time period are generally speaking, very reflective of the real life social anxieties that people in that country are experiencing at that time. Uh-huh. So, you know, for example, the advent of horror, there was a, a big reliance on sort of classical Gothic horror, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, things of that nature. Right. But that, sh- that very quickly morphed. And then what you saw in the forties was more, uh, you saw a boom in werewolf films, which I didn't know this until I watched this documentary is actually a propaganda piece for Adolf Hitler, Adolf, meaning uh, wolf in German and was a nickname of his. So when you see all these, like now when I think back and I look back at like even cartoons and I look back at um, certainly some of the monster movies that were popular during that time, there was a lot of wolf, you know, a lot of lichenism that occurred. And and that, that makes sense when you consider that who was the biggest threat in the world at that time. And it was, it was Hitler, you know, transitioning into the fifties and you see, horror films having more of a sci-fi edge to them, which would make sense given the anxiety post-atomic bomb and so on and so forth. You know, in the in the 70s, you saw more of a shift towards horror films being about real-life killers. You know, um, Ed Gein was a big inspiration for Psycho, for uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, you start you start seeing this the, the rise of the fear of rural areas, which still exists. Rob okay. Zombie's made a, a career out of it, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, movies, movies like Wolf Creek, um, you know, De- Deliverance, which is not really yeah. a horror film. You know, all those that they feeds of that anxiety of like, what happens when you leave the comfort of the city? Well, well you know, Rob Zombie, I'm gonna call out to Devil's Rejects, man, because I mean that and House of a Thousand Corpses, but I prefer the sequel. But yeah. I mean, that was like, what was that? But just like, imagine what those hillbillies are getting into out there, you know, on their own, out in the woods with no supervision, you know? And, right. Well, and I and, think, and I if think city I... folk just kind of go off in that area, they get trapped, you know, it's like you get caught in the spider's web of crazy right. inbred hillbillies. Well, what's interesting about Rob Zombie's films, and I think this is relevant to the conversation that we're having is that the, the viewpoint in which he, in which he takes a, an existing several decade old genre of, let's just call it hillbilly, hillbilly horror. Uh-huh. He takes it and he presents it from the perspective of the hillbillies. Right. Yeah. In a, yeah, in a yeah, way yeah. that's never been done because I could see that because, because that's the environment which he grew up on. And so I think he, he attempts in his own way to really humanize the monster from the movies of the, of the classic movies of the seventies. Right. Right. Maybe in, in the same way that Guillermo del Toro humanizes the creature of the black lagoon in the shape of water. It's not really the creature, but it's essentially the creature, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, if you can go genre by genre, the 80s, look at horror movies in the 80s, and it's like excess, right? It's like an overabundance of blood. It's a, it's the, the really the golden era of makeup effects. It's just over-the-top movies, and um, they all were morality plays. You know, well, you yeah. know what I think of with the 80s? Uh, horror films uh i mean satanic panic man i think every time Absolutely. i was you know as a little kid in the video store i would just see like you know these vhs boxes you know pentagrams dial 666 for evil right. uh, ouija board um you know i think even uh the, the gate one of the coolest 80s horror films was like right, right. didn't they uh, accidentally 
I don't played a record backwards while playing D and D or something. And it opened up a gate to hell. Like, you know, it seemed like, well, well, a, like satanic and, panic, big part of the eighties horror film. Right. Right. And what's going on during that time, right? This, this high moralism of Reagan, right? Don't just the, just say no decade while yeah. saying yes to excess, right? Just say no to sex, drugs, rock and roll, um, rebellion, right? So all these teens and these slasher films, are getting killed as a, a sort of a, by the boogeyman because of their transgressions of morality. Oh yeah. I, you look at the satanic panic, you know, what was the big case during the eighties, which was Richard Ramirez. Right. And uh, the, the, the golden era of heavy metal. Yeah. Right. Which had caused anxiety. It was this new loud, fast type of music that was freaking a bunch of like conservative people out. Well, speaking of like kind of, you know, religious morality or Puritan morality as being a, an element in, in uh, 80s horror. I, I actually watched this uh, Siskel and Ebert uh, special, you know, the, the film critics. Yeah. Back in the 80s, I found this old copy of this, um, this like one hour special they did. And it was basically them complaining that horror films had been like dumbed down into these like films where we just... Um, we just watched teenagers get punished for having sex, especially women getting punished for expressing sexuality. Right. And I mean, they just crawled over like every eighties, you know, major, I mean, as much as you can in an hour, but like every major eighties release, you know, uh, um, I mean, Friday the 13th, um, what was it? Uh, I spit on your grave. Uh, I mean, just, and it was all about how like, Whenever a woman, a female character, uh, is is um you know expresses her sexuality, the audience gets to watch her be like brutally murdered moments later. Right. And it's and it's like it was this creepy like they were trying to make this point that these filmmakers had this like creepy mentality that like they had to establish a reason why it's okay to kill that person first, and they were using sex as that reason. Right. Like well, if whoa. you think about it, it's a little bit of a. Um... It's almost a little bit of a come down from the 60s and 70s, right? You look at the 60s and 70s, what was going on in society and Studio 54, and it's like it's really expression of sexuality, both for men and women. Uh huh. You know, like homosexuality and, and bisexuality was gaining a level of, um, I don't want to say that it was accepted yet. I wouldn't even say that it's accepted now, even still in lots of parts, but it certainly was, people were experimenting with their sexualities in new, in different ways. I say new for America, right? In a more in a more public manner. Look at Bowie, right? Gender bending, and you know Mick Mick Jagger and uh, T Rex. You know, yeah, you look yeah. at this, you look at those Mark things Bowie. that come out of the seventies. This real like explosion of sexuality, uh-huh. and then and then and then you look at the eighties, and it's like everyone's re- trying to rein, desperately rein that back in. You know, if I was a conspiracy minded person, it's almost as though the government was like, we got to find a way to like reinstill these Puritan values that have gone by the wayside over the last couple of decades. Right. And then you get to nineties, you know, and the nineties was a, an era of prosperity. We talked about that a little bit last week when we were talking about the band mayhem and sort of the, the destruction that these young people were creating. Uh-huh. But, um, in movies and horror movies, what you saw coming out of the excessive movies of the eighties was a deconstruction of the horror genre. You know, movies most notably like Scream, which were self-referential and were pointing out the tropes that we had become accustomed to at this point, especially the 80s tropes. It was almost as though it was a if if the 80s films were a reaction to the more sexually liberated horror films of the 70s, 
the 90s were a response to the 80s films, right? But not necessarily contradicting them either. You still had these films where the protagonist was a woman who, who tended more often than not to be still the more pure one. It's like they were self-referential, but they didn't really, they, that's all they were. They were self-referential for the sake of it without actually changing or pushing the genre in any sort of meaningful way. Well, I want to say one thing about yeah. the 90s. When I think of 90s horror, I think of bad misinterpretations of technology. Oh, uh, God, yeah. Right right in the boom of the uh, internet age. Come, think, well, uh, how about Lawnmower Man? I remember was, that? You know, by uh, the way, I though, mean, Lawnmower Virtual Man, reality. If you die in virtual reality, you die in real life. Right. And, um, e- even I mean, uh, in, a, in a non-horror film, The Matrix, just at the edge of the, of the decade, yeah, The Matrix. Same but, thing, but Lawnmower Man is a very underrated film. But Matrix, saying, uh, at least yeah. Matrix had this like it's taking place in the future. Um, right. You know, or, it's or it's was it? it's the it, well it oh right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, I don't know. Have you taken the red pill? <laughs> I don't know. Man. But um, it's it, at least the Matrix. You know, kind of said like yeah, you know, a much more advanced technology produced this thing, but like. Films like Lawnmower Man, where they're just like, yeah, we made this virtual reality machine, and for some reason you have to get your body into this huge gyroscope and spin around, and it looks like a, uh, you know, a techno music video inside of there, um, and and but but things that happen in there have real world consequences because you can get brain damage, and for I mean, it was just like these absurd concepts of essentially what is just you know strapping a couple of um, you know, screens to your eyes and a couple of, and putting earphones on, yeah, you know, <laughs> but like but, they had these crazy but, you know, ideas. I think yeah, the end, well, that's the anxiety. In, of this in the technology. end, I, I believe the guy like somehow goes into the computers and, and now he's just, uh, this, this bodiless being inside of the computers all because of virtual reality. And there was, um, another one, uh, brain scan. Did you ever see that with Edward Furlong? I know of it. I don't remember if I've ever seen it. To me, that is like the the like the I don't know. It's it's a tie between Lawnmower Man and Brain Scan, and like the most clueless like the technology is going to kill us '90s movies. Like Brain Scan was like this kid orders the CD wrong. It's Edward Furlong from Terminator Two, and yeah. not much else. And um, <laughs> um, this the, is going to be the this is, this three is, wicked prayer. No, this is really mean what I'm about to say, but it's it's Edward Furlong from Terminator 2 and the guy having his head down at the autograph booth at Comic-Con. Because oh. he, yeah, <laughs> that's a true story, too. <laughs> like, my friends and I just kind of stood there going, is that Edward Furlong? And this guy just was sleeping at his autograph booth. <laughs> it's just like, this is really sad. Let's get out of here. But anyway, hey man, so... Cocaine so is a hell of a drug. He orders this CD-ROM and it uses like weird strobing lights and patterns to um, manipulate his brain and make him go and commit murders. Mm. And uh, he also starts. Um, Isn't that basically just a modern day telling, uh, like a sort of retelling of uh, if you play the record backwards? Not really. It was supposed to be like, you know, um, hacking your brain. And, and he, and right, he meets right. this guy and it's, it's the guy on the cover of the video game who like starts showing up in his life and like, manipulating him and he can he's the only one that can see him and um yeah he goes into this crazy he becomes a serial killer all because he's been playing this game and i mean it was like everything you know it was it was almost like it was uh predicting what would be coming you know a few years later with the whole uh video games or making kids uh violent thing right yeah 
Yeah, so that's, you know, that's, it's a reflection of those anxieties that whether or not the filmmakers themselves felt them, they definitely tapped into them and they used it to, you know, tell this scary story that, you know, in a lot of instances were massively big hits. Um, fast forward a few years, just a couple of years, really, into 9-11 and the post-9-11, you know, the, the post-Patriot Act, George Bush years, and you saw films that uh, were going back to more of a handhold, handheld style of shooting, right? Very voyeuristic, oh, yeah, yeah. like the the Blair Witch, Blair Witch. And the VHS series. Yep. You know, and and then at the same time, you saw films, you know, the, the rise of Eli Roth and torture porn, so to speak, films where you had these characters, often often at the hands of the rich and of the affluent, being mutilated and tortured in these very intense ways. I mean, you probably saw it sort of dovetailing off of uh, Seven, which is not really horror, more of a, but it's definitely a dark thriller. Yep. And uh, going into the Saw series, which did like six or seven films. And then the Hostel, I think the Hostels did three films. And uh, was that Human Centipede? Oh, God, yeah. Oof. You know, it certainly, <laughs> and that, I think... Uh, and that wasn't a shudder from, oh, so horrific. That was a shudder of bad movie. Ugh. Well, yeah, I think, I think <laughs> generally <movies>. speaking, <laughs> critics don't look at that time period as very, um, uh, don't, don't look at it from a lot from a, having high artistic value. But I do think in retrospect, when you look back at that time period and you look at the conversations around, um, the U S's use of torture, waterboarding, uh-huh. you know, uh, sleep deprivation that was starting to come out post nine 11 into the Iraqi war. It, it makes sense. It certainly makes sense that that, that, that those kind of films would depict and play off of the anxieties that people had what, watching what they saw on, on their television set. You know, if you look at the Obama years, um, what you saw really was a, a flood of reboots, right? And if, yeah. you, think, and if you think about it, what, it, it feels like in many ways the Obama years were, were sort of a reboot or at least an, a reimagining of the Clinton years or an attempt okay. at them, you know, like it was like, right. okay, we got a, we got a, a liberal in office for eight years and he's, he's young and he's hip. And, um, if you, if you peel back the layers, you can still see some of the same atrocities and war crimes that every president regardless of their affiliation has committed. But with Trump being elected, you have an entirely different landscape than I've ever seen. So that brings us to where are we at now with horror? Like what's a, what's an example of a, just a horror film that really expresses the, you know, the, the modern um, ideology that you're talking about? A Quiet Place. Aside from the, the execution and the delivery of it and certainly the acting, I think what you find in that film is representative of people in the u.s not feeling like they have a real voice okay Uh, which you could certainly probably apply to any time period in america but i think more than ever we have all these avenues in which to express ourselves i mean you and i are doing a podcast right now where we just give our opinion on life and movies um you can go to any message board you're talking about the youtube comments and you can express yourself it's um, like yeah. in a time period where, where there are more avenues for you to voice your opinion, it feels like your opinion is so much less validated. It's, you're, it's, it feels like your opinion is so much less heard. And maybe because it just falls under, you know, how many YouTube comments did that Alex Jones, Joe Rogan podcast have? 
Oh, thousands, tens right. of thousands. Yeah. Right. So, so your one voice, your one comment falls amongst thousands of other ones. And you're just, you know, you're just a username. It doesn't have any weight, doesn't have any meaning, doesn't have any like emphasis. It's not like in the old days where if you got something in print, you know, it, people would take notice. You know, if you remember the, the old children's book, Charlotte's Web, right? People uh -huh. will, will leave anything in print. It's quite the opposite now. There's a, a nothing in print. There's a line from uh, David Wong's book, uh, John Dies at the End, that kind of reminds me of, um, he says, uh, imagine going to an insane clown posse and <laughs> uh, an insane clown posse concert. And um, every fan in the audience has his own mic and PA. And they're right. all like rapping without any music all at the same time, like, like doing their impression of the band at the same time. And, and that, that's kind of what it feels like. I think, uh, you know, all, cause these, all of, I mean, a lot of these comments are not like cool or right on, you know, they're like right. paragraphs They're you know, they're, they're, you know, really explicitly put opinions, you know, they're, they're, um, detailed opinions, you know, and, tens of thousands of them, you know, all there just collected on this server for anyone to see, but no one to look at. It's, it's weird. Right. But yeah. Right. All those which, voices just kind of going, which leads us to a, a film like bird box, which again, as we said earlier, like people have pretty split opinions on, but it's essentially about a film where if you, if you see truth, it will, it will cause you to kill yourself. You know, so you have, a, you have people walking around with blindfolds on just to get through. And I think yes. if that's not reflective of our current time period, I don't know what else is. We, you know, we, we referenced the Matrix earlier, right? Take the red pill so you can see. Or um, a film that I thought did it even better, which is uh, They Live. John Carpenter's amazing sci-fi horror film. Yeah, They Live is is awesome. It's it's a yeah, it's it's all of those kind of alternate, uh, not alternate reality, but like. Um, secret society reality uh is not what you think it is kind of films but without any of the pretension it's just like right right a exactly. lot of fun <laughs> yeah well it's it's good well, that's just because john carpenter is, is a, such an amazing storyteller yes. at least he was and um and he was able to poke fun at the reagan era in a way that was entertaining and got the point across with it again like with like with what you're saying without the pretentiousness yeah which brings me to another sort of phenomenon that's very popular right now is the um, the popularity rise in documentaries about serial killers. But oh yeah, yeah. But but, but Ted not Bundy the, tapes or something. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I skip right over that stuff. I don't really care what these people have to say. I mean, we get it, man. You you you, you know you were a narcissist and you hated women and so you just thought you had the right to kill people. I mean, fuck off. I, I don't I don't want to listen to you but, talk. Right, but I, <laughs> I, don't I think. Care. I think that's also telling as well that it comes at the heels of the Me Too movement, you know, and in a oh, that's that's a, a weird. So you're thinking that well, somebody out there saw that the Me Too movement was going on and was no, like, we should ever, go interview Ted Bundy. No, I don't actually ever think that it is um, quite that linear. I have a producer friend who is actually producing a, a Ted Bundy documentary, and. Um, she got attached to the project because it was a female director who wanted to retell that story or at least look into that story from a female perspective. Okay. And yeah, okay. Um, yeah. there's there's a certainly a, a train of thought that would say that part of the fascination with serial killers is women's attempt to um, internalize 
the, the horrors and the traumas that occur to them and have occurred to them and other women like them. Huh. You know, if you yeah. look at, if you look at people who post about serial killers the most, it's typically women, which seems yeah, odd, I, right? That yeah, you would, I, I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I look if just, you know, take a scroll through Instagram and this, this is just you kind of anecdotally yeah. saying yeah, like exactly. what you see. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, although that being said, I do know that like 50% of all horror audiences are women. Most people don't know. They always sort of think it, it, they always sort of think it caters towards men. But in fact, women make up a large part of the horror audience and have for a long time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and you, and you have to think to yourself that what horror movies at their most basic level are meant to do is provide us a safe environment to experience a thrill and danger. Right. It's the same reason that we create uh, amusement parks. And it's the same reason why we do things like rock climbing or skydiving. There's an, there's an elemental danger that humans, I feel, have to experience as part of the human experience. It makes but, sense. Uh, you know, when I, when I was younger, I would, if you asked me, I would say horror is my favorite genre. I, right. I love horror films. But uh, as I've gotten older, um, there are certain ones that stand out that are a lot of fun. But, like, I don't have as much interest in horror films because I just pretty much know I'm not going to be scared by them. Right. Uh, they're it takes a lot these days to really get me to that point where I can suspend disbelief where I'm going, Oh wow, this is actually a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty dangerous thing I'm looking at here. And, um, it's, yeah, it's hard for me to get there. I mean, bird box, uh, I, God, that was boring, man. For me. It was so boring. Um, well, we saw you know, it when it was called the happening. Yeah. Yeah. Actually I skipped that one too, but <laughs> well, I skipped that one. I did see bird box, but yeah, the happening, uh, was M night Shyamalan. Is that yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, wait, Oh no. Is that the alien one? No. Or is well, that, the, that people that falling too. from the sky? Uh, it was people. It was, yeah. The happening was where the, um, or they're, they're falling into the sky, right? The trees make people commit suicide. The trees make people commit suicide. Oh yeah. The happening was sort of his, ever do that those kindly trees well it now, was sort of like they, an environmental um, reaction you know they're putting human, off like a like a pollen that yeah makes kill themselves or something. yeah exactly like the, the yeah. human humans have become a scourge <laughs> of the earth you know with their pollution <laughs> and mother nature is fighting back so it's mother nature so it's like it's like a deity has like some kind of like like it, earthly it, deity like a yeah, mother nature thing it, or is it, doesn't it just even, like it doesn't even get that deep it's just trying to be trees. biological or yeah yeah, yeah see, see that's what i'm saying i can't i can't do it i start asking stupid questions like that that but imagine if there was a deity i watched it they did this whole world build where they like subverted your expectations and they said do you think you know about religion and the earth let's introduce this new idea to you i would like i mean yeah i'd, I'd like more movies that just kind of get in would go for it like that you know uh um, I mean, sometimes I think films that have uh, the devil and demons can be kind of fun, kind of scary. Right. Um, but, you know, it's it's like I said, it's still it's like comic book horror. It's not like right. really scary or, whoa, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have nightmares, you know. And I think that's what it is. It's just it gets harder to have um, those thrills. Like I, I remember when I was a kid, my parents, you know, not liking horror films. And I always thought it was because. Uh, they're just too conservative or, right. or, you know, something along those lines. But looking back, it's probably more that um, the films weren't that thrilling for them. So why would they just want to watch a bunch of gross uh, stuff, people getting killed and it's all bloody and gross with a bunch of bad acting? Right. Well, for a long time, I think what you saw was um, horror movies that were popular were popular because people were appreciating the craft less than they were being scared by the story. 
Um, yeah. The the Evil Dead remake it was immediately jumps to mind. I enjoyed that film. I know you know people are always gonna be mixed on those things, but I, I really I enjoyed it. But I yeah. enjoyed it because it was fucking cool. I'm glad you brought it up because I I'm like having a hard time thinking of one that recent one that I really really got into like that. But yeah, that Evil Dead re- remake was a. It's a roller coaster, man. Yeah. That was crazy as hell. Like you just didn't know what ho- and it was all if it couldn't get you convinced that this demonic possession was scary or anything like that, um you would still be worried about what horrible thing you're going to see next, you know? Right, exactly. It it had me in that state where it was just it was just like, "Oh god, what's coming?" Oh, and and you know, "Oh, she's got a nail gun." <laughs> you know, I, just, I'm uh, actually I'm actually yeah. super super sad they never did their um their planned tie into the original series. I I I mean the cabin was the same cabin, wasn't it? Well, no, but do you remember at the very end um a silhouetted ash comes in the frame? And says something to the effect of like, let's do this or something to that effect, right? There was Oh, I, I didn't was that after the credits? Or that, I think it was after the credits, yeah. Uh, I, so there was this I, plan yeah. there was this planned I, I'm idea. I'm aware that there are post credit scenes in films, <laughs> but I can't I just have too much to do. I cannot right. be bothered to stick around. Well, there are a lot of hardworking people who work on that film. Matt, you should give them a little love. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Credits actually have information. <laughs> but um you know, there was an, the idea was that, that they would not only just introduce this new sort of retelling of the film, but they would present it as, a, as yet another alternate reality caused by the spell book. And so there's another mm-hmm. reality where it's ashism is a male and that if they keep fucking around with the Necronomicon, that uh-huh. they would somehow merge the two universes. It sounds cool. It yeah. sounds like um, a total departure from the the tone of the uh, remake. Maybe, and maybe that's why they didn't ultimately make it, yeah, right? Because because you have one film that's definitely scary and crazy, but it's playful and it's uh, you know it's it's wild, and then you have another film that's just a straight up terrifying gorb fest pain. And it fest. was. I mean, it literally yeah. rained blood at one scene. Oh, that was amazing. That's right. Yeah, yeah and that's and that's another thing too. If uh, these days, if you're gonna do horror, you've got to take the you know you've got to have that visual aesthetic as well uh and right. it's got it's got to be a work of art well and it's that, funny that, that you mentioned art i haven't finished it so forgive me i don't know how this ends but i just started watching a film called velvet buzzsaw have you seen that i saw, I saw the trailer i'm really looking forward to it's, watching that it's, it's a new one on netflix yeah it's very good in fact after we're done with this podcast i'm actually going to finish it it's um it centers around these sort of these these upper elite art dealers and they um, they come across the the discarded art of a of a neighbor who passed away, right? And oh. um, I don't know. It's it's such an interesting way. It, the whole setup in the beginning is a surreal world that I haven't seen since something like American Psycho, right? These cold characters. None of them are very likable, but they're all very intriguing and they're all very sort of captivating. But um, you're, they're, you're, they're you're, art art collectors, art, art viewers, collectors, kind of art reviewers, art you know like it's that whole world, right? Uh huh. And so it really immerses you into the um, the sterile world of art and the pretentious world of art. And then I'm just getting to the point of the movie where murder and mayhem rules the land, right? Okay. And it's interesting. It's really intriguing. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting take on it, and I. 
in preparation for this podcast was just thinking to myself that um, people that the I don't know if this is the intent of the filmmaker, but the real life effect that true art can create, right? In the beginning of the film, you have all this art that doesn't have any meaning. It's just sort of visual. It's this pretentious world where people, there's one scene, it's not a spoiler. John Malkovich is in the film. He's an artist and he's bringing his new agent in to see his latest artwork. And he's sort of walking through the studio and he's got some, uh, some trash compiled in the corner, you know, and you know, he walks, John Malkovich just walks by it and his, his agent stops and kneels and he's like, you know, he's got like a one dangling earring and these very Oliver people glasses and little, little fancy mustache. And he's like, this is sublime, right? And it's and John Malkovich, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. John Malkovich, like that's not the art. <laughs> he like keep walking to the canvas, right? <laughs> and um, I think it's it's sort of telling. It's like what we see. We talked a little bit about the spectacle and the society of the spectacle yesterday, and how art yeah. and rebellion are repackaged and resold to you. And I think it feels like, at least in this early onset of this film, the first half of the film, that the art that you see is meaningless, right? But there's a real danger in both the best and worst ways of true art making its way into the world. You know, that's not the first time uh, Malkovich has gotten to play uh, kind of that avant-garde um, caricature of an artist. Uh, there was a Daniel Close kind of uh, comedy thriller, uh, Art School Confidential. Oh, uh, right, yeah. About, about 10 years ago, I think, when mm-hmm. it came out, the early 2000s, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where um, these... Uh, in a small town uh, with an art school, um, there's a serial killer on the loose strangling people. And one of the uh, students starts showing these paintings of his, which are really paintings that he took from a uh, a neighbor that mm-hmm. um, are paintings of uh, people being strangled to death. And they're, they're really oh. intense. And, um, but John, John Malkovich was in that and he played uh, one of the um, professors there. And he has this great line where, um, he's talking about his, his career and his evolution as an artist. And he's, he's standing in his house, uh, surrounded, you know, his walls are full of his paintings and they're they're just these dumb, basic paintings of triangles. And he says something like, you know, imagine how, how much research and how long I had to practice to be able to paint triangles. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's that whole like scam of it, you know? Um, Right. Right. I, I, I get a little cynical about it sometimes. I know it's kind of a detour, but there's that, famous Picasso quote that I'm going to butcher, but he, he says something like it took me uh, 20 years to paint and it took me 40 years to paint like a child. Oh. And, and, and to me that is like almost just like saying, I finally got to the point where I'm worth enough that I can just put some childish dribble on a canvas and uh, make uh, I mean, a living. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's certainly one way to look at it. I, like I, maybe, maybe, I mean, Picasso was brilliant, but maybe, I mean, my, my, my cat's named after him. I think he was good. Maybe, maybe that was a little cheeky nod to well, like, Hey, I, it y'all, might be, it might I, be look what I'm getting away with. <laughs> it, it might be. I think it also was like him saying it took him 40 years to just not give a fuck anymore. You well, know, to, is, to abandon all classical convention. <laughs> I don't know. Certainly, certainly, if you're into the world of postmodernism, uh, then it would be right up your alley. You know. So okay, I know you're not done with the film yet, but Velvet Buzzsaw. How yes. how is that film influenced by the, you know, the way the modern culture as you're talking about it? How how is Velvet Buzzsaw a product of that? Well, I think in your in this post-Trump era, which you've seen a rise of, aside from all the bad things like white supremacy and nationalism and tribalism, 
I think what you've also seen a rise of is um, a resurgence of esoteric beliefs amongst people. What do you uh, mean? Witchcraft, uh, paganism. We touched a little bit about last week, but these are all on the rise in a lot of areas. Uh-huh. People were returning to the conventions of like tarot reading and, um, you know, earthly rituals and burning well, sage. I, and, maybe in your neighborhood they are, but... Well, um, I, bet on, you, I bet you even in Austin, if you look around no, enough... And my neighborhood as well. I, what I mean by that is um, it kind of depends on what side of the political spectrum right, you're on. Right, right, 100%. I mean, definitely people are, are, are going way out there into some very... Um, uh, like supernatural beliefs, uh, things like that. But, um, you know, where, where, yeah, there's, I, when the last time I visited you, uh, we went to a store that sold, um, you know, powerful crystals and, right, and, and right. stones and candles and everything you need for, um, you know, enhancing your life through, um, I, I guess ritual. I, I'm right. I, it was, uh, it was called the house of intuition, which I yes, recommend the house of intuition in the market for cauldrons or crystals. And, and I'm not saying this jokingly because I have a house full of them. In fact, I might yeah, have, yeah, it's I might have really oversaged cool. my house last night. It's a bit, yeah, it's it's a bit smoky. very cool stuff. I mean, I I saw some really cool stuff in there to decorate your house house yeah. with. Of course, the the descriptions on the counter of of, of the powers that they had and stuff, right. I, I just kind of thought but, was funny. But 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 what but but what I think that's telling of is is people are yeah. looking for truth, right? They're looking for something to invest in, and I think if you live in an environment where uh, in referential to say bird box or a quiet place you don't feel like you have a voice and you don't feel like you can trust anything your eyes see things that your eyes see are dangerous for you in fact then okay. there's a search for a truth there's a search right. for some belief and meaning and something and i think what perhaps velvet buzzsaw is is presenting is if you can find like if you can get past the the, the schlock and the garbage that passes for art these days uh-huh. Then um, there's 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 some real there's some real power behind true art. Okay, yeah, definitely. There and there there certainly is a lot of power in art. That's, I mean, I would say that is the is the true magic in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I mean that in a very practical way. But uh, yeah, I mean, thing art mysteriously manipulates your emotions and your your uh, the way you uh, perceive the world. So, uh, but what's it's, interesting it's magic is, illusion is in this film. Um, because it, it it nestles itself into the subgenre of horror, the true art is presented as dangerous. Is there an anxiety that if we if we find something that really moves us, it's going to destroy our world? You know, we build this perfect sterile world where everything sort of works in a certain way, and we kind of put our head in the sand and ignore some of the horrors that are going around us. And if we saw real art, something that moved us and like rocked us to our core, would that be a danger to? It's it's almost like the going back to the they live right like we take the red pill and we can see clearly from now on there's a danger so I feel like it, it plays kind of closely to a bird box in that way. Um, so there there's a Chuck Palahniuk book where um, an artist creates a, a huge illustration so amazing that they're able to burn the building down with all the uh, people inside because they're oh, wow. fixated on the illustration and they don't want to leave. Uh, you know art. We, we definitely know art does have a power and we can feel it when we look at it and it, you know, it has the power to stop you. And, and sometimes you, I mean, you just walk in, you see something so amazing. You just want to stare at it. And what if there was a way to, uh, you know, fine tune that and weaponize it to where you could just stun people with art and then, uh, you know, murder or capture them or whatever, <laughs> manipulate right. them. Uh, I mean, there's a reason that, 
drug commercials uh, by you know I mean the pharmaceutical commercials right. have you know nice calming music in the background and and the wording is carefully selected and uh, you know the, the imagery and the cinematography yeah, or the people animation are, people whatever. Are typically wearing white yeah, or tan all, and they've got smiles yeah. and their hair is blowing slowly in a nice sun, nice sun, sunshiny day sunshiny exactly. day exactly people think of these as marketing decisions these are artistic decisions this is right. In a sense, this is art trying to get inside your head and change what you would normally think or, or, or at least uh, curtail your judgment toward something that favors the, uh, you know, them. And so um, I love that idea of art as, as the, uh, you know, as the monster. That's cool. Right, right. And it's, I think it's, it's an interesting take, too, because um, I think it's reflective of the world right now is so anxiety ridden that that truth is scary you know what i'm saying like if you can see you'll die if you speak you'll die if you see real art that moves you you die that's an interesting perspective so oh, yeah. instead of instead of presenting it as these are the things that we need to survive it's feeding off the energy that people must be feeling now which is an overwhelming fear of the world that they just don't want to see they don't want to see any of that stuff the truth is scary. Uh, I mean, often, um, I mean, even just in conversation, like, you know, paying full attention to what someone's saying and telling you, you know, uh, it, it can be way too horrible. So often people will just kind of half focus and think of what they're going to say next. And uh, I mean, uh, you know, how, how honest does anyone ever give an answer to when someone says, Hey, how are you doing? You know, it's the, the truth is often way too big, way too much right. to take in. Uh, so, you know, we all just kind of, we filter a lot and um yeah and sometimes uh art can get through those filters and uh whether you like it or not but and you know so, yeah. what's what's interesting though is that there are filmmakers and, and i'll point out one in particular who are kind of going in a different direction and and that's uh the work that jordan peele is doing have, uh, have, have you seen a movie like get out he's he's presenting it he's presenting a very uh to borrow our former vice president Al Gore, he's he's preventing presenting an inconvenient truth in his oh, work. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, he actually has a new work that that's coming out really soon called Us that looks just fantastic. It's it's uh, it's a young African American actress who's got um, a mask on that she's pulling away, and the mask is smiling and just looks you know perfection, right? Beautiful makeup, smile, reflection. Yeah. You're and talking then, about the, the poster? Yeah, the or, poster art. And, oh, okay. and as she pulls away this mask of her own face, behind it is runny makeup and a tear falling down, which is you know, a callback to the, the famous scene from Get Out where the, the male protagonist has that single tear and that look cool. of terror in his eye. Have you seen the trailer? Um, I've just seen the poster so far. No, it looks like a pretty, um, pretty new idea. It's about a uh, family that moves to a new area and... Um, they're really happy there. And then, uh, one night this other family just shows up in the driveway and, um, breaks into the house and attacks them. Oh, wow. And the other family is them. It's, it's oh. another them. It's us. Yeah. You That's get it? Weird. Yeah. It's spoo This trailer is very spooky, man. It looks like it's going to be a really fun, really wild ride. And, and, and you'll see just from the trailer that, that what I was talking about earlier about where horror has to really really push that cinematography and right. break some grounds artistically. He's, he's definitely doing that. It's cool. It looks good. Well, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it. I think he, he more than a lot of other 
horror directors and producers out there has a real finger to the pulse on what people are feeling, you know, especially people of color, especially marginalized group women who, who need to process their own terrors through entertainment. Yeah, it could be, it could be. Um, I, I wanted to get back to something earlier that, so we were talking about, you, you talked about esoteric, you know, mm-hmm. belief and, uh, kind of, you know, people kind of escaping into that kind of magical thinking. Um, and I said, you know, yeah, in your neighborhood and, you know, out in LA and here in Austin, but let's head, let's head a little South of Austin here. Let's go down back on down to one of, one of my favorite places to kind of make fun of. And, 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 and one of all Texans favorite places to make fun. Of. Let's go to San Antonio, oh, Texas, I love to where San we got Antonio. some big old mega churches because I'm saying in the same way that on one side of that political spectrum, people are escaping to their own brand of non-science, we'll just say non-scientific thinking. Um, and we've got horror films, you know, kind of expressing that can't do how, how about the other side, you know, where the, where the people that maybe used to just go to church once a week are now going two, three times a week and they're speaking in tongues, you know, cause that's getting ramped up too. Right. You know, our society is getting into a lot more of a, of a, um, you know, almost like Pentecostal level of, uh, evangelic, evangelical belief. Um, I mean, we're, we're getting pretty wild over here, especially in Texas these days. Well, I think, and, I um, think, um, what, what do you think? Is there anything in horror cinema or, or just in cinema in general that you can think of that's reflecting that side? Last horror film that I remember that sort of even remotely dealt with that was sort of uh, red state. Red state. Oh yeah. Great you know, example. Talking about sort of, sort Kevin of Smith. Ascent, yeah, Kevin Smith, sort of a send up of the Phelps family. I thought he touched yeah. base on that a little bit. Um, that's an area of horror that's really yet to be explored. Um, Red State, they for those who haven't seen it, uh, where some some kids are trying to have sex over with Craigslist uh, using Craigslist, and they end up getting kidnapped by a church, and uh, which is a kind of a post-apocalyptic doomsday, uh, right? Phelps family style mm-hmm. of a church, and um, it, yeah, that was a fu- and then the, I guess the uh, um, FBI has to come in or the right. ATF has well, to come it's, in it's and, and try to save them. Things go wrong. Cause that, that one kind of expressed a like fear, fear of, um, you know, extreme religion, extremists, a religious right. extremist, but and, also and it had a bit, a Christian bit of that fear. Well, just a second. Too. It also had a bit of that fear of the, of the government too, because right. you remember the, the kind of the main, I mean, definitely the church in that film is, is, um, is what is the monster. But when the government comes in to save them, they make a mistake and they get the orders. The FBI gets the orders from the top, kill everyone, right? Cover it up, right? So, so Smith was like kind of focusing on two big fears in society right now, and and maybe in a really genius way, you've got you know the fears of the left where we're kind of afraid of those religious nuts, right? But then you also have the fears of the right where the religious people are afraid of the government and and the kind of control and and cover ups and conspiracies that they do. Well, we, it was like both sides reflected in that film. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit in our very first podcast about a, an underrated film and Kevin Smith's Tusk. I think even though Red State was more positively received, it's still pretty underrated. I think that he, yeah, Kevin Smith, when he has the confidence behind the work that he's doing and he's not shifted or influenced by what he thinks people are looking for, is a very strong storyteller. And um, he's able to really tap in some things and present them in a way that's really digestible and you kind of have to look think a little bit deeper about it before you realize like 
the ideas that he's sown inside of you? Yeah, yeah, he's he's a talented guy, absolutely. Really smart filmmaker and writer. Um, as far as, so Red State, like I said, it addresses kind of both sides of the spectrum, you know, fears from both sides of the spectrum. Are there any films that you can think of that really express that fear of the right-wing political spectrum? Like, less, less of it. So, like like a, a horror film that a Trump supporter would say, yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. That's why. That's, you know, that, that's why I'm afraid. Yeah, it's it's certainly a little bit more difficult, I think. I mean, traditionally, movies are made by more left-leaning filmmakers. And so being able to tap into that sentiment is a bit tougher. But it's something that I would like to see more of. Yeah. You know, I think, well, I, I think I, that's... We're probably not going to get it from Hollywood, though, I guess. They, they, yeah, but there's I mean, a... That, that I would think, be a tough audience to cater to for Hollywood. Yeah, but you know what? There's a way to do it, I think. There's a way to do it where it doesn't... Um, it doesn't make it socially okay. We, we talked about Rob Zombie earlier. In Rob Zombie's films, a lot of times the the redneck killers are humanized, but they're not oh, presented yeah. as being right either. Oh no, definitely not. You know what I'm saying? Like he's able to sort of play. He's sort of, he's he's able to to allow those characters to be relatable in some way. At least, yeah. at least from the standpoint that if I, you know, we grew up in Texas, but not really that super rural Texas. But, yeah. you know, if I had to grow up in a more rural state and I watched, say, House of a Thousand Corpse, and I watched these annoying jackass kids, like, make fun of me because I got an accent or because of whatever, right? I'd be able, right. To, I'd be able to relate to that. Even if yeah. I don't, even in the end, those people are still portrayed as the bad guys. There's a little bit of a, uh, there's a level of complexity to it because these, the quote unquote victims are also kind of shitty. Oh, brother, you you poke the hornet's nest now, man. You know, where <laughs> you know what I'm going to talk about now with the people being afraid of rednecks, That's where it. we got to go with this. But the, I'm talking when they're afraid of rednecks when they shouldn't be. Right. When they're so afraid of rednecks that it, they're actually become a danger to themselves. Mm. Where am I going with this? Come on. I don't know. Tucker and Dale versus Evil Dog. I haven't seen it. Oh man, that is like exactly what you're talking about. Really? It's a, a comedy horror. Uh, it's so much fun, man. It's like Tucker and Dale finally got their own little uh, vacation home in the woods. Mm -hmm. They're two total hillbillies, you know, Pat's Blue Ribbon pickup trucks, <laughs> fishing and, and boats, you know, and they're so excited. And, um, so they're, they're off on their weekend trip out to their cabin. And at the same time, there's these college kids mm. that are going to go camping in the same woods. And it is so cool because it shows the movie from both perspectives where you got Tucker and Dale who are just these excited rednecks that finally got their place out in the woods and they're going to go stay on the lake. And I mean, it's a it's a terrible cabin. In fact, the cabin. <laughs> It's it's what's so awesome is the cabin itself is like a serial killer actually used to live there, oh. so it's got all this like messed up like animal bones hanging over it. Right, it's everything like, everything that you've sort of every trope of every you know hillbilly horror film you've ever seen. Oh yeah, but to Tucker and Dale, it's just like some hillbilly stuff. Like they're just like, man, this guy must have been into hunting, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so it's coming to Netflix too. Oh, uh, really? It's going to be out in March, okay. so be sure I'll to check it. it out. You're going to love it. Uh, sort of a throwback film that touched on this and and showcased hillbilly horror in a different light was uh, Pumpkinhead. Oh yeah, yeah Pumpkinhead. Yeah, Pumpkinhead. It, it presents touching on. Yeah, was Pumpkinhead a result of inbreeding? Is that what? No, no, was? it was a curse. It was a uh, curse. Okay. So basically, the premise is that. Um, you know, it presents rural life as very peaceful and happy, uh, 
And then, you know, these dumb kids come around and start tearing up and running their little motorcycles around. And they end up killing Lance Hendrickson's kid. And so he, he puts the curse of the pumpkin head on them. But then the curse gets out of control and he, he doesn't really realize what he's done. And so now he's got to try to kill Pumpkinhead. But he and Pumpkinhead oh, right. are... Are sort of psychically linked and but so the, the kid that gets killed also was like a pumpkin head kid though right like there was something he was deformed no. he had like a big weird head no didn't no. some no, kid that's jason jason that's had that 13. big weird head yeah that's true yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but but i think i mean my point of it is is that right now what you see is you see horror films at an all-time high they're doing great in the box office or flooding netflix i mean almost to the point where netflix has become I would say 80% new horror films, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a whole app that's dedicated to it called Shudder that's creating some oh, great Sh- content. Shudder is awesome. I have Shudder. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm, yeah. I want to I do something with them someday for sure. G- uh, going back to like, are there like horror films for the uh, kind of Christian community like that reflect right. what they're afraid of right now? And there are, there is actually. I thought I this film um, I only recently found out about, but um, it's called The Second Coming. Okay. And it is a, a basically a movie where the devil uh, in human form is the head of this uh, kind of genetic engineering, um, mm. uh, like, what do you call that? A GMO food company. Right, right. Yeah. And, and his uh, meddling around with uh, genetic engineering causes uh, this uh, mutation in all the plants of the whole world, and they start dying. And so now people are running out of food and the whole world is suffering, suffering, you know, and it's like this real kind of, because of you that know, darn science. Yeah. yeah. Well, devil science, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I'm going to try not to Isn't all be too devil? mocking as I describe this film. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, but, okay, and, yeah. and, and, and the thing is too, it's, it's different when we describe like a horror film because right. we don't think it's real, but you know that they do. And, and so it's a little, it's a little weird, but I don't know. So I don't know if it counts as a horror film or not, but it's like everybody's dying. And, um, there's this, um, yeah, this this head of this uh, food company uh, gets, you know, kind of comes up with this plan, and he, well, he ends up being the devil, and and he um, uh, has manipulates this scientist, and they make these uh, bees that are going to turn everybody immortal, and it, it's Not just super bees. weird, and of course it, it ends with um, the devil killing everybody on earth, right. and then Jesus coming back and resurrecting everybody and oh, killing shit. the devil. And, and then yeah. after that, it's like, it's, it's a real peaceful time. It's real nice. But, right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the second coming, I mean, I don't know if that, I, I think I, I could totally I see that, that as what we're talking about. Cause you know, we, you know, we hear a lot, I mean, where, where we're having things like, uh, lawmakers pass laws, uh, that, you know, where lobbyists are, are pushing lawmakers to pass laws that you can't label food as non GMO because it makes right. their GMO food look bad. And, and, you know, I, I, and, and I don't know if the science is still out or whatever. I'm okay eating GMO food. I mean, Maybe I'm going to grow a third arm. I, I don't think I am, though. But I, I well, figure, I you know, if we're going to feed everybody, we're going to have to need some creative ways to, to make food. But but that's neither here nor there. But but what I'm saying is there are a lot of people out here that are really afraid of what's happening in science. And, and I do think that, yeah. And, and also, um, I mean, this is definitely not a horror film, but but movies like the, the God's Not Dead series uh, where they, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, they send the kids to school and the evil professors try to convince the kids that uh, God is dead. And, and then the... The Christians have to, you know, fight back, and you know, well, my uh, our, it, our, fear, our friend, uh, our friend Jude uh, worked on the third one. Oh, did he? Yeah, I, I hear that's the more tame of the series. Um, 
more accessible. I, I mean, I don't know, but they're <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. <laughs> how many but, how many times could you have someone have to prove that God is not dead? You know, so many times. I, I, I don't. Know, I mean, how does that work? I mean, if, I don't know. if you don't think something even exists, why would you call it dead? Does it, do they mean like? The um the movement to fo- like to become a was follower it, it, of God is dead. It, is that what they're saying? Was it was it Nietzsche that said God is dead? Is that what that sort of phrasing comes from? I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. It's, uh, so I think it's a play on that the idea yeah. that you know the, the idea that where Nietzsche essentially says that that God is has been is dead. He doesn't. It's not relevant anymore. That science has sort of replaced it. And I think is that what that means? Sort, it's yeah. I think so. You know, and we, I think we don't need God. We just have science and right. Um, and I think what you're seeing with the, yeah. all these horror films that we've been talking about in this modern era is um, there is nothing that is giving us solace like it's supposed to. The things we watch, the things we hear, you know, the the, the platforms that are supposed to provide us a, a voice, um, the art that we consume, uh, even even in some ways, you know, the food that we have. The, None of it is trust. You can't trust any of it. None of it is giving you meaning, and science has not is not giving us any meaning as well in the way that it, it was meant to, I, in the way I that mean, it was presented to itself. Like science this, is awesome. This Don't is your wrong. point of view, or this is. Uh, I, I think this is sort of no. This is not necessarily my point of view, although I, I'm not totally disagreeing with it. Also, uh, I think this is just sort of generally speaking the the mood of the world right now yeah. is that these things did not live up to their promise. Maybe the expectations were too lofty, but there's nothing that is providing that inner peace that we're seeking out. And so there's an anxiety around that. And I think that goes to some of the things that we were talking about last week in, in which our societies are built. And the very, the very ways that they're constructed are not conducive for the, the optimized human experience. And so as a result of that, we keep latching on to these new things that are supposed to bring us this this meaning to our life and and when they don't it's like a relationship right it's like when you meet someone and you expect that person to be everything that you need uh-huh oftentimes there's no way that they could live up to their that expectation no matter how great they may be right so you need friends you need family you need whatever to to augment that i think in the same way people have put their trust on all these different mediums and they're and we're living in an age where you can't necessarily trust everything you see or everything you hear. And I think, um, you know, that has given rise to the, to the popularity of conspiracy theories that are rampant, like crazy conspiracy yeah, theories. That yeah, you would that. N- this is not just like who killed Kennedy. These are some like basic, basic distrust of the things that have been, uh, been accepted since, you know, Galileo. And, um, and and I think the, the the horror movies that are rising in popularity right now are reflecting on that. It's a distrust of your senses. It's a distrust of the things that we uh, consume on on every level. Okay, so we're getting kind of near the end. So uh, I thought of a fun thing that we could try is um, sure. I'll ask you uh, if you were going to make a horror film to really reflect the fears of this age. What, what do you think? What what would that be like? I'd like to I'd like to see a film about Lucifer set in in the time of the rebellion where the the, the god that he's rebelling against is is the horror. Yeah, what 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 atrocities do angels are are angels doing? What kind of experiments on this humanity that's being created is going on that is horrific enough to lead a whole rebellion against it? All right, yeah. What about you, Matt? What if you could if you could make a horror movie that was relevant to 2019 and and the sort of 
post-Trump era? Like, what what kind of film would you put together? Hmm. There would be the internet. Okay, there, I like the internet. There would be cults. Hmm. Cults are cool. Um. There would be a crazy person. It's coming to me. Okay, so a uh, let's see, like some some kind of deranged serial killer back in the the nineteen forties um, was uh, was never caught, and he wrote okay. this whole manifesto, uh, and um, it was uh, you know maybe like a hundred or three hundred page long uh, you know book that he wrote and made and hid. And, uh, so now, so he's never caught and, um, now it's 2019 and, um, a, uh, member of the, uh, like 4chan incel community, uh, who's also a, um, like a outdoors explorer kind of guy, uh, finds the, um, the manifesto of this 1940s serial killer in the ruin of an old cabin out in the woods mm. and he starts reading it and, uh, it starts influencing him and, um, and he starts, uh, sharing basically, basically pages from this manifesto as his own words on the, uh, 4chan incel message board and influencing all these other guys. And so like a serial of, uh, you know, a whole cult of, um, you know, evil incel murderers that, that, that aren't, aren't just, you know, because, and, and, they, they don't just kill women. I don't, I don't like movies that just victimize women, but you know, just because it's incels, but I think the influence of uh, the serial killer man's book will uh, get them to kind of expand on their, you know, you know, murderous uh, variety. Yeah. And, um, well, it's about, know, that's, I don't know to, that that's that really that far off from some, from reality in some ways. Right. And, and, and so as they start, as, as he starts sharing more and more of the pages, they start going toward the end where it turns out that all of this stuff is intended to summon some kind of like crazy demon or something like that. And, uh, so they they all start working toward like some kind of supernatural cult thing. And, uh, and I think it would be about the uh, FBI agents that are trying to stop this and, and investigate it. And, um, it would probably end with some kind of like, you know, in some kind of really cool ritual setting with some kind of crazy shit going on, but not actually not that cool because it's incels doing it. So it'd be like, you know, right, right. something like really awful and uh, and just kind of, um, you know, just inspired by anger and and, and loneliness and it, it, I don't know, something something along those lines though. I think where like just kind of a, you know, a, a much more evil and serious element gets introduced to this, um, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, le- not not very active and, and somewhat vulnerable message board community, and they just start acting on it. You know, something along those lines probably do. We're interested always on what you guys think about our conversation, about what is relevant to horror now, and what are the themes that are existing in horror movies that are making them so popular, and where is it going? You know, maybe we go further down the path where reality is not to be trusted, not in the sort of... Um, supernatural way that or the technological way that would have been presented in the 90s but more from a standpoint of everything is corrupted around us and nothing that we absorb can be can be seen or trusted as truth and with that i would like to end with a quote do you think doctors aren't selling aborted infant organs do you think there aren't human pig hybrids or do you just not think you're listening to the grindhouse podcast on the hillbilly horror network 
please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and wherever all fine podcasts can be found.